It's a privilege to be here this morning, it really is, and Trav and Steph and, and Rochelle, you guys have done such a great job bringing emphasis to the marriage ministry at Grace, the pre-marriage ministry and the marriage ministry. It's one of our priorities. It's something we're passionate about as a church. Strong marriages, helping people get off to a good start, so vital, so absolutely vital. So it's been really fun to watch this ministry just kind of blossom under your leadership, so we really appreciate that. Um, before we get started, I do want to pray because, as Travis said, this is a, this is a topic that is loaded with all kinds of, of uh, potential pits and downfalls, and I just don't want Kimberly and I to get in a fight up here this morning while we're talking about it, okay? So let's pray. Father, thanks for the opportunity uh, to be here this morning, Lord. You are so good, and uh, Father, we just love you. We want nothing more than to serve you with open hands in every aspect of our life. That's in our marriages, in our families, in the work that we do, in the ways that we recreate, in our neighborhoods. With open hands, Lord, we hold all of these things, and we just entrust them to you. We pray that today that um, Kimberly and I would diminish, and that our voices would increase in a way that brings glory and honor and instruction, Lord, from you. We just pray this now in the powerful name of Christ. Amen. All right, well, we're going to go through a whole bunch of material, and I apologize in advance. This is a little bit of death by PowerPoint. Um, we're going to try and make it as engaging as we can, but if you feel you know, your head starting to bob or anything like that, feel free to get up and walk around, poke the person sitting next to you, whatever it takes, go get some caffeine. Um, there's a lot of really good information in the material today. I want to start things off, just give you a little introduction into our family. The picture that you see, I guess it would be on your right, the uh, young lady in the back with the blue jean, jacket, or blue jean shirt on. That's our youngest daughter, Samantha. She normally lives out in Seaside, Oregon. She is engaged to a young man by the name of Sammy, and she goes by Sammy. So you can imagine how complicated that is. Um, she's put her life on hold. My mom had a stroke about two months ago, and Sammy has literally put everything on hold. She's moved back here, and she is caring for my mom right now. So it's really a blessing to have her here. Um, next to her is our son, Andrew, and then, of course, my dear wife, Kimberly, um, myself, my mom in this particular picture, and then the couple on the, uh, I guess it would be on the far left-hand side of the picture for you, is our daughter, Allie, her husband, Jeremy, and our two grandchildren, Jacob and Bella. So that's the fam. We have been married for 41 years. Um, and even though we've been married for 41 years, marriage is unique, and communication is unique. And you'd like to think, you know, in the first four or five, you get it all figured out, and then the rest of it's easy sailing. It's not. It's not. The challenges are there each and every day. So we're going to uh, try and walk through some of this information today. As I said, we were uh, both born and raised in Hutchinson, Minnesota. We were high school sweethearts. I married the older woman. Kim was a senior. I was a junior. Fantastic story, by the way, for another time. Um, we've been married for 41 years. We got married at the ripe age of 21. Literally, I was 21 by two days. So we didn't know what we didn't know. We didn't have a clue. We were about as selfish. We didn't know Christ. Um, we knew we loved each other. So we, we tied the knot at 21, and we moved to Montana. We come from two very different families with very different backgrounds on how we communicate or how they communicate. So our upbringings were a bit unique in terms of how we were imprinted. So my parents uh, rarely argued in front of my sister and myself. And when things weren't good, they just went silent. 
Because of this conflict, resolution was not something that we saw modeled in our home. So today, when I'm faced with conflict, I tend to go silent as well. My family, a little bit different. They didn't fight a lot, but when they did, oh, man, did they fight. They were really good at it. They pulled all the words out. I'm leaving you. We're going to get divorced. I hate you. Um, and then there was no resolution. They just went quiet for two, three, four days. It was like living in a Cold War. You didn't want to say anything. You didn't know who was mad at who. It was about as unsettling as it could be. But it was, nonetheless, um, a difficult way to grow up not knowing what you were going through. So I brought into the marriage that I don't want to fight. I really don't. So I go silent and just you know, live to survive for another day is kind of my, my default position as we go into marriage. Today we're going to talk about an area where our differences can become huge unless we understand ourselves and our spouse, and that's communication and conflict, as we said. While every topic is important, this may be one of the most important. If you can't learn to communicate and conflict well, the rest of your marriage and all the other topics that you're going to talk about, finances, intimacy, raising children, education, grandparents, all of that stuff, if you can't communicate and conflict well, you're going to be handicapped in all of those other areas. Communication is a very real issue in our marriage. Like any area, we have seasons of highs and seasons of lows. It's guaranteed that at some point in your marriage, you're going to experience conflict. And it's kind of fun to look out here and see all these, you know, wide eyes and, oh, I love him. He's so wonderful. Yet to have your first fight. It's coming. It is coming. The day is going to happen. So if not, if, if what we're talking about today, you don't see a lot of practical application for today, take good notes because you will. I guarantee it. Famed marriage guru John Gottman says that the number one predictor of divorce is the inability to resolve conflict. So why do we care? A couple's ability or inability to engage in healthy conflict resolution predicts divorce with 87% accuracy. 87% accuracy. Remember I said this is really important? That's huge. So why is communication so challenging? Well, the difficulty lies in learning how to care for someone enough to fully listen and understand them from their perspective. For some of you, this information, like I said, it's going to be a game changer. For some of you, this might be a refresher. You were blessed and came, came up in a family where communication was really well modeled for you. But then, like I said, for others, you're sitting here today and you're completely oblivious to what we're talking about. And that's okay. Uh, there's no shaming here. But just take notes because, like I say, the time is going to come where you're going to be challenged with this. So what percentage of couples are happily married and have communication and conflict problems? Any guesses what the percentage is? Couples that are happily married, everything's going great. What's the percentage of those couples that have communication and conflict problems in their marriage? 100%? That's a really good guess. Yeah, spot on. Well done. 100%. That is an absolute certain it's going to happen. Communication is the primary means to become one, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. The Bible tells us that there's an enemy roaming around like a lion looking for those that he can devour. And no greater place does that enemy like to sink his teeth in than into the marriage. So if he can divide us in the marriage, he's got the family. 
Good thing about communication, most of it is skills-based. You can grow, you can change, you can improve, and that will impact the relationship. Learning constructive ways to handle your differences is one of the most powerful things that we can do. So here we go. Mistake number one. Believing the goal of communication is to make sure you are heard. It's kind of awkward, huh? In Proverbs 18.2, we're told that a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. One of the ways we are God's unique and special creation is in our ability to communicate with one another. Since the fall, communication shifted from seeking to understand and pursuing unity to getting our point across and being heard. We haven't seen that in the media at all, have we? The goal is mutual understanding. Let's watch this short video that shows how important mutual understanding can be. Now we've got a small technical problem here, so you're going to have to listen really hard. We, we can't run out hooked into the PA, so I'm going to take this microphone, put it on my laptop. Not the ideal way to watch a video, but we'll give it a try. How about if we lip sync what they're saying, huh? Yeah. Rochelle will send this video out to you afterward because it's really worth watching. But the gist is, and you'll see it, uh-huh, look at that. She's talking about her headache and she just can't understand why she's got this headache. And the video unfolds and the guy's sitting there going, well, it could be the nail in your head. And she says, it's not about the nail. There you go again, trying to fix the problem. It's not about the nail and they get into this long, drawn-out argument and so on and so forth. So I won't ruin the rest of the story for you. You've got to watch the video. Um, so 41 years of marriage, like I said, we still get confused by that one. Um, I like to fix things, so when Kimberly comes to me and just wants me to listen, that's really hard for me to do. I jump right to, well, you've got a nail in your forehead, honey. Take the nail out. That's the problem. And she doesn't want solutions. She just wants me to be there to listen to her. So mistake number two is not understanding the impact of our words and our tone. At Grace, we have front row seat to all kinds of marriage issues. Some relatively simple, some really deep and profound. One thing we've learned is that the small things can be the most divisive things in a marriage those things that have been buried and suppressed and not dealt with, not vetted. How many of you have fought about something really dumb? Yeah, truth be told, I think probably all of us could raise our hands, yeah. That kind of thing that you, you, know, you walk away from going, wow, that was really stupid. I can't believe that we were at each other's throats for three days over the flavor of ice cream we were going to purchase at the grocery store or, you know, just something really, really stupid. The thing is rarely the thing when you get into those kinds of arguments. And that's where so many of these skills become really helpful because it helps you unpack and decode what the thing really is. We're taught from a very young age that our words don't have weight. Remember the old nursery poem? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but... Louder? Words will never hurt me, yeah. The truth is sticks and stones do break our bones, but words can and do permanently 
damage our relationship. They have the potential to do that. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Our words and the tone we use to deliver them matters. Tone is your overall posture and your attitude toward another when delivering your words. For example, let me work this out for you in real life here. I can look at Kim and I can say, beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Or I can look at Kim and I can go, beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Same words, two totally different meanings, right? So when you're communicating with each other, be really, really dialed in to the tone that you're using, verbal and nonverbal tone. I think sometimes we think about our tone just being the way we're articulating, but hand gestures, eye contact, they all make a difference. Proverbs 12:18 says, "Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Your words either give life or speak death. They build up or they tear down." When we were living in West Central Minnesota many years ago, a little town called Glenwood, I had a dear friend, brothers and brother and sister in Christ, Tim and Tammy. Tim was a home builder, and uh, they were going through uh, what turned out to be a bankruptcy some real financial challenges. And ironically, we were meeting at their house to do a financial management small group class. We got there early, had everything set up. Tim had been working down in the cities for the week, trying to make as much money as he could. He came home late on a Friday night, tired, um, hadn't spent any money on a hotel, had literally slept in his truck, walked in the door, took the check for the week out, and presented it to his wife. She looked at her, looked at him, looked at the check. <sighs> it's not enough. It's just not enough. She might as well take taken a sword and ran it through his heart. Her tone mattered. What she was saying was, I'm scared. I don't know how we're going to make this work. What he heard was, you failed. You're a loser. So in the communication process, our tone really is important, and we have to contextualize that as we're speaking with others. The instructions from Colossians 3, 12 through 14, are really helpful. Put on, then, as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Colossians 3, those of us who are Christians are given some non-negotiables in the way that we interact with others. If you're new to the Christian stuff, these are still some pretty good guidelines for us to follow. Um, Colossians 3 tells us to clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another in love. And above all, we're to put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Remember, how you say it matters as much, if not more, than what you say. So, mistake number three, not recognizing any of your own negative communication patterns. Before we can experience good communication, we have to address the areas where we are totally missing it. We have to look in the mirror, which can be tough to do. We are going to look 
to look at four key destructive patterns. So this is where we're going to deviate just a tad here. We've all picked up some of these over the course of our, our lifetime from other relationships. Relationships such as from mom, from dad, from siblings, boyfriends, girlfriends, and so on. We will describe the pattern first, and then we will give you an exit strategy. Quick word of caution, this is not a time to nudge each other. Let me say that again, no elbowing, as if this is for your significant other here, right? This is for you. So here's negative pattern number one, which is withdrawal and avoidance. This comes in several different forms and patterns, such as unwillingness to get in or stay in important discussions. This means that you will either leave the room, shut down, fake peace, switch topics, bounce around, or steer conversations away. Some of you will do this through humor, and the sad thing about that is it's really not funny. Others will keep opinions to yourself to keep the peace, but that means you will suppress your anger. And if this is you, be careful because it will eventually come out because you'll erupt. Sometimes you will use your busy schedule as a reason to avoid hard things and not talk about them. And eventually this seems fine, but you're really not fine. So here's your exit strategy. Stop faking peace. So how about if we role play this? Sure. Hey, honey, is everything OK? I said I'm fine. OK, you say that, but I'm really questioning if you mean that. Sometimes we fear the time and energy it will take to resolve conflicts, so we just say that we're fine. But your relationship is absolutely worth it. The pursuer needs to take the time to better understand the spouse's story and why they withdraw. But first, the pursuer needs to ask, what is it about me that makes the others want out? Am I yelling, invalidating, unable to see my own issues? I don't want resolution. I want to win. Mm -hmm. um, agree on a safe place and environment for the person who withdraws to open up and share, such as time of day matters, eliminate distractions and interruptions, privacy matters. Can I interrupt you for just a second there? I want to go back to the top one, time of day matters. You'll learn this cadence <laughs> in your relationship. She's a night owl. She isn't a Christian until noon. I mean, it's, it's absolutely true. <laughs> I'm an early bird, so I'm up at the crack of early. I get out of the house, I'm gone to work, I work hard all day, I come home, and I have this wonderful thing called a nothing box. And about 8.30, 9 o'clock, I go into the nothing box. I'm just zoned out. I've got nothing left, right? I've used up all my words, I'm done. Mm -hmm. And we found that when we try and resolve conflict after like 9 o'clock, it just doesn't go so well. She's sharp, she's in her element, she's ready to go. Till and three in the I'm, morning. I'm wasted. I got nothing. So I resort, resort to dirty tactics, right? I just want to put this to an end. So I take cheap shots. I do whatever I can to just make the talking stop so I can go to bed. So you got to learn those routines and what works well. And when you get in them, you have to understand what's happening and be able to stop and say, sweetheart, that's really 
I, I hear you. It's important. Now I just don't have anything to give. Can we revisit this tomorrow morning at 5 when I get up? I'll have you a cup of coffee. It'll be great. Time of day matters. So Saturdays usually work pretty well for us. So if you are the pursuer, realize that if you're just going to blow up or belittle your spouse, no matter what they share, then why would you ever want to share again, right? The next destructive pattern is escalation. This is a negative response to another that creates a snowball effect that leads to increased hostility and negativity. Again, the thing no longer is the thing. The snowball is rolling, and we're just at each other. Where the ante is continually upped, either increased in intensity, anger, or volume, or in the depth of the put-down. Tennis lobs going back and forth, sarcasm, underhanded shots. We've heard about this in other relationships. We've never experienced it, but we thought it would be good just to share it with you in case you ever experience it. Um, for us, we both just get super sarcastic with each other. We can anyhow, and the jabs get worse and deeper. We get more personal as the process continues. You're just like your father. You're just like your mother. Boy, that sets off mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the rocket's red glare. Um, Proverbs 15.1 offers a great perspective, and it reminds us that a gentle answer turns away wrath but a harsh word stirs up anger. The exit strategy, slow down. Avoid the urge to fight back, to, to, to blurt out, to belittle one another. Proverbs 26.20 offers a great counsel here. For the lack of wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no whisper, quarreling ceases. I love that. For the lack of wood, don't fuel the fire. The banter is like tennis lobs going back and forth. Stop escalating the volleys back and forth. Break the cycle. How many of you went to Love and Respect when it was here? You remember the Emerson, Emerson and Sarah talking about the crazy cycle? He isn't feeling respected, so he doesn't love. She isn't feeling loved, so she doesn't respect. He isn't feeling respected, so he doesn't love. She isn't feeling loved, so she doesn't respect. And the cycle escalates and escalates and escalates. And all of a sudden, you're at each other's throat over the stupidest thing. And I hate, absolutely hate, the answer to how do you get off that crazy cycle. The answer is someone's got to go first. How do you decide who goes first? Emerson would say, the more mature one. <laughs> oh. Number three, the negative interpretation believes the motive of the other person to be more negative than really is the case. This can be especially true in areas of insecurity. So, for example... Hey, honey, what's for dinner tonight? But I don't hear that. What I hear is, it's going to be another bad night as it was last night. Or, what time are you going to be home tonight, dear? I don't hear her saying, what time am I going to be home? What I hear is, are you going to be late again tonight? Mm. You can see how simple little things like that set off these triggers where the thing isn't the thing. That's not what she was asking me. But I react in a negative way based on the filter in which I hear it. So sometimes we negatively interpret silence. Just because your spouse is quiet, don't assume that they're mad at you or troubled or sick 
or angry. Times of silence are life-giving for some people. We can avoid these negative interpretations by being present in the moment, caring about the things our spouse is interested in, and using our words. So here's your exit strategy. Believe the best and do not assume the worst. Ask for clarification if you doubt, as in 1 Corinthians 13, 7 believes that love believes all things. So be really honest in sharing your areas of insecurity. The sooner you can be fully known, the sooner you can be loved more fully. Be aware of these insecurities in one another. Don't assume you know what your spouse is thinking. Ask. We found that if we're not connecting well and we're not investing in our relationship, it's easy to negatively interpret the simplest things. But if we're serving one another well, initiating, and it's, it's a whole lot easier for us to believe the best in each other. Even if things have gone wrong, continue on the path to believing things are going to go well in the future. Make that step forward. Be the more mature one. All right, the fourth and last destructive pattern is invalidation. Invalidation, subtle indirect put-downs of the thoughts, feelings, and character of another. Most evident in people who always have to be right. They have to validate self. Statements like, you shouldn't feel that way, you're overreacting, they can be invalidating and hurtful long-term. They can also shut your spouse down, hurting communication and intimacy in the relationship. If our goal is oneness and not winning, then we'll, see, uh, we'll seek to understand rather than invalidate. Now, guys, we tend to be really probably more guilty of this than our spouses as a general rule because we like to fix things. We want to solve problems. So really, when you get the email, watch the video on the nail in the forehead. It's not about the nail, stupid. There's something bigger than the nail going on, and we run to fixing and solving the problem when we don't even understand what the problem really is. The exit strategy, react, or respect one another. Acknowledge your partner's viewpoint. The goal is not being right, but seeking to understand. You don't have to agree to validate each other's feelings. If you want a passage to put to memory that brings this one home, look at Ephesians 4.29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Is what I'm saying, is what I'm about to say, going to build up my partner? This is the filter that we've got to run these things through. Once we had kids and our family um, was growing, we had someone share this with us. They called it the think principle. And it was one of those things I wish we'd had heard a long time ago, and this isn't in your notebook or material, but the THINK principle is pretty straightforward using just the acronym, the acrostic. THINK is what I'm about to say true, helpful, important, necessary, and kind. Unless the answer to each and every one of those five points is yes, that should be a red light that causes you to step back and say, do I really need to say this? Just because it's true doesn't mean I have an obligation to communicate it to somebody if it's going to be hurtful. Does that make sense? 
Awesome. Well, that's it for the four key destructive patterns. So now we're back to the list of 10 common communication and conflict mistakes. Mistake number four, assuming you are healthy because you don't fight. Fighting doesn't always mean yelling and screaming. We can disappoint, hurt, and frustrate each other in many other ways. When two self-absorbed people get married, there will always be some disagreements. Here's a pro tip. One sign of self-absorption is thinking you are not self-absorbed. Mm-hmm. Do I need to say that again? Oh, I think you got it. In our fallen world, the reality is that all married and engaged and dating couples will have conflict. It is inevitable and should be expected. Some of us don't have conflict because we don't communicate well. Hmm. Fighting is not a matter of if, but when. It's normal to have conflict, but this does not mean it's okay to scream and yell. It is normal and healthy to disagree. The goal is to reframe the way you look at conflict. Romans 12:18 offers some practical advice. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So conflict is actually an opportunity. That's kind of interesting. Ephesians 4:15 instructs to speak the truth in love. Or perhaps, don't see conflict as a roadblock. See conflict as an opportunity for growth and to glorify God. This quote from author and speaker Paul Tripp offers some great wisdom by reminding us that our difficulties and our differences are not interpretations of his plan. They are part of his plan. Conflict is an effective instrument of change. Mistake number five, assume conflict ends when you say, I'm sorry, I'm guilty of this. I hate having to tie that bow off and go through all of the, yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't really mean to, blah, blah, blah. I just as soon say I'm sorry and move on, doing the hard work of apologizing. It is important that we say I'm sorry, but we've got to be specific. Think back when you were kids. Did it ever happen where you were caught doing something wrong? and you were forced to apologize? Was that apology deep and sincere, heartfelt? Mom, I'm sorry for stealing that cookie. I did not mean it. I'm such a self-absorbed... No, uh-uh. You do whatever you have to do, get out of the line of fire, and then you move on, right? That's our, that's our default position. The Bible calls us to a different level of living. Let's look at Corinthians 3, 12 through 13 again. Put on, then, as God's chosen... One's holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Ask for forgiveness. Don't just say, I'm sorry. It requires humility. We don't just need to agree that what we did was wrong. When we ask for forgiveness... We are asking to be released from the hurt and the pain that we have caused. Forgiveness doesn't mean forgetting. It means we choose to believe the best in others and to move past the hurt. Forgiveness is ongoing and active. 
Trust takes time to rebuild. And we've experienced that in our lives. First 11 years, we've been married 41. The last 30 have been really pretty good. The first 11, not so much. There was a lot of violation of trust in our relationship. And it takes years, dare I say decades in some cases, to rebuild that trust. If you don't have the ability to forgive or be forgiven, you're in trouble in your marriage. Because we are broken people, we are full of hurts, and we know that hurting people hurt people. Be eager to forgive fully, freely, unpunishingly from your heart. As long as you feel superior to someone, you're going to find it very hard to forgive. No one gives grace better than someone who is convicted or who is convinced that they need it as well. Tim Keller offers great insight into this topic in his book, The Meaning of Marriage. When over the years someone has seen you at your worst and knows you with all of your strengths and flaws, yet commits him or herself to you wholly, it is a consummate experience. To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. So we take a quick look at Psalm 103, 10 through 12. We see our Father's love on full display in this text. He does not treat us as our sin deserves or repay us according to our inequities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. He loves, we love because he first loved us. We forgive because he first forgave us. Now there's a word of caution here. This is really applicable in a normal, healthy relationship. If you're here today or you have a friend, quote unquote, that is in an unhealthy relationship that is abusive, that is manipulative, where there's addiction or chemical substances that are interfering with just the normal human process, get help. Don't, don't stay in that relationship and try and gut it out or try and fight it out. Get help. God's got a plan for that relationship, but the partners in the relationship have to be equally yoked and healthy before you can take things to that next level. So mistake number six, blame your spouse as the main reason you fight. Show of hands, how many of you think this is a new problem? Mm -hmm. this, this has been an issue since the beginning of time. We see this in Genesis 3.12, where after the first sin, the man said, well, the woman you gave me as a companion, she gave me the first fruit, and from that tree and said, yes. Of course, I said, yes, I ate it. James let us know the, the true reason behind our fights. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. The reason we fight is because we are selfish, not circumstances. 
chances are you will be your biggest marriage problem. The sooner you realize this, the better. In marriage, the good of the relationship should always take precedence over the immediate need of self. The good of the relationship should always, always take precedence over the immediate needs of self. And the Lord will honor that time and time again. So mistake number seven, avoiding structure when we're at odds with each other can lead to great conflict. We talked about this a little bit earlier. I'm a morning person. Kimberly's not. We've had to learn some things about that structure. In Proverbs 18.13, Solomon offers great insight into the need for structure. He who answers a matter before he hears the facts, it is a folly and a shame to him. So here are some practical tips on structure for speakers and listeners during conflict. So we're going to kind of walk through a three-stage process here. Again, early in our marriage, Kimberly and I were attending a church in Gurney, Illinois, Village Church of Gurney, just down the road from Trinity um, Evangelical School. And we were asked to live, in a, in a class like this, role play this. And we were given a speaking device, happened to be a little goldfish beanie baby from McDonald's. And whoever had the goldfish had the floor. They got to speak. And we picked a topic that we thought, yeah, we could role play this out. Sure. We just about killed each other. <laughs> live in front of a hundred and some people. It was really, really awkward. As a fact, the people that were facilitating said, well, okay, that's good enough for today. I think we're going to call it good and kind of wrap things up. And so these, these tools can be really practical and, and can really help you uncover some, some flare points, some pain points. But they can also be really practical, and they can really help you uncover some, some pain points and some flare points. So as you go into the use of this tool set, you know, be prepared. Pray. Don't just casually walk into this because the next thing you know, you're going to be at each other's throat if you're not practical in terms of how you go about this. So there's rules for the speaker, there's rules for the listener, and then there's rules for the couple as you get into this exercise. The rules for the speaker. Speak only for yourself. Don't mind read. And I'm guilty of this. I hear Kim say something and I go, yeah, that's what you're saying, but I know what you're thinking. No, I don't. And that's a really unfair thing to say. Speak in short phrases. That's really important to me because I don't understand long phrases typically. Stop often and let the listener paraphrase what I think I heard you say was, just to make sure that I'm understanding what's being said. Rules for the listener. Remember, this isn't the time for you to load your gun. While she's talking, I have to be actively engaged, not thinking about, oh, when it's my turn, uh -huh, she's going to get hers. Nope. I have to work on paraphrasing what I hear, not refuting or arguing what she's saying, not thinking about how I'm going to react when it's my turn, and not formulating my responses as she is talking. Focus on what she is saying and be an active listener. And then the rules for both of us, the speaker has the floor, so when she's talking, she gets my attention. The speaker keeps the floor while the listener is paraphrasing. So, honey, what I think I heard you say was, she's still in charge, right? She's got the floor. I'm just clarifying. She can come back and clarify for me if I'm wrong. And then when we're done with that, we share the floor. 
So when she's done speaking, it comes back to me. And now I get to respond to her. I become the speaker. She becomes the listener. And we go through this process to clarify and get to the true root cause. Sounds really mechanical, I know. Sounds really kind of awkward. Uh, it's okay. Over time, it does become more natural. Uh, but you got to practice. So start with an easy topic. Go back to something that you have fought about. Pick a date night, go out, and just start to work through this. But again, start with prayer. Don't assume the most benign, innocuous thing isn't going to blow up on you, because it can. But start to work through these things and start to equip yourself with this skill set and kind of develop that relational muscle memory so when you do get into a thing, you've got the tool set in place and it's refined and practiced and you can use it in an effective way. Speaker-listener technique allows you to safely express your viewpoint without resorting to arguing, fighting, and belittling your spouse. So mistake number eight. Do not ever take a time out. Many people do this because of Ephesians 4.26. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Now, in real reality, the sun can go down on conflict, but not on your anger. Be prepared to talk when the timing is better. Try not to have conversations when you are hungry or hurting because your lack of food will reveal the depths of your heart. Try not to have conversations when you are angry. It's best to conflict when things are going better or when you are well. Try not to have conversations when you are late or lost. I don't think I need to say any more about that. <laughs> Try not to have conversations when you are tired because you don't make sense and you could be easily irritable. And just a side note on this one, again, you'll learn these things in, in your relationship. If I'm someplace 10 minutes early, I'm late. It's just the way God's wired me. If Kimberly is supposed to be somewhere at 3 o'clock, that means somewhere between 3 and 3.30, she should probably pack up and leave the house to get there. Especially Billy Time late. is on a scale. It's yeah. pretty relative. So when we're trying to get to someplace on time, it's not a good time for us to try and resolve conflict. Because it's, 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 it's just we're different. God has wired us differently. Did you have to bring that up right now? <laughs> Could we make a date for a later time to what, discuss yeah, this, Yeah, what honey? I think I just heard you say was the timing of me. <laughs> okay. It's important that you say to your partner, I do want to have this conversation, but not right now. Can we talk about it later tonight? So there's no point in trying to have a discussion unless you're both ready to hear one another. And it's okay to have a timeout. So here are some ground rules for that timeout. Honor the request. This isn't the time to call them out um, for being avoiding the conflict. Stop the pursuit. Timeouts aren't a way to spite your spouse. Seek God during the timeout. Timeouts aren't where you write out every single little detail about what your spouse is doing wrong. Instead, draw a circle around yourself and work on the person inside, which means you. Matthew 7 says, get the log out of your own eye. The one who calls the time out proposes the time to start up again. Not a way to get out of the conversation, but a break to come under the spirit, to own your own part and to seek forgiveness. 
say to one another, I love you, and we will work this out. We're in the home stretch, two to go. Mistake number nine forget that timing and environment matter. Colossians 4 6 says, Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Another way of putting this for the golfers in the crowd, timing and club selection do matter when it comes to relational communication. Um, telling someone the truth is never optional. Method and timing are always optional. But remember, not all truth needs to be communicated. Remember the think principle? Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it important? Is it necessary? And is it kind? I may have a truth, but the most hurtful thing I could do would be to share that truth. So you've got to use discernment in, in the process as well. And mistake number 10, never ask others to help. James 1.5 says, provide, um, it provides clear instruction about navigating difficult times. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who always gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So how do you do this? First, you pray, and you ask God. Second, always be studying his word. Proverbs 11:14 also instructs us on the value of seeking wise counsel. So establish relationships with a few trusted, mature Christians that can pray for you and share wisdom. If you're stuck, remember to bring others in. Make sure that they're wise Christian um, believers to bring this in. Sin blinds, and guess who gets blinded first? Me, you. Human beings need truth from outside themselves to make sure to make sense of, out of life. People who can see our blind spots, people who are for our marriage. We need to live in humble, honest community with one another. Life will only become more complex when we add kids, add schedules, add jobs, add new jobs, add travel. Be set apart in the way you communicate with one another and point people to Jesus. I just want to go back and reiterate one point that Kim talked about in terms of seeking counsel. Um, to each and every one here, if you've got that one or two special people in your life that know you better than yourself, you're really blessed. If you don't, find them. I've got a guy by the name of Dave. He's in his late 80s. He lives down in Florida. Um, Dave was a sniper in Vietnam before Vietnam was a conflict or a war. He was one of the guys that turned his dog tags in as he got on the helicopter they gave him an exfil point. If he wasn't there, he didn't exist. So this guy, you talk about someone that doesn't really hesitate to pull punches. I talk to Dave about once a month. He always goes through a list of questions with me, and the last question he always asks me is, brother, have you just lied to me about anything that you've told me? I need that. I need that accountability. So if you don't have those special relationships, pray for him. Ask God to open the door and, and give you that one or two special person that you know, when you're having conflict in your marriage, when things aren't going well, you can call that person and they can look objectively. They know you as well as you know yourself and they can candidly look at the situation and they can speak truth to you in love. Does that make sense? Yes. 